Well, we're going to look at a scripture today, and I want to continue in the series on the road to the resurrection. In just two weeks, we're at Easter. That's hard to believe. And I hope you're praying about inviting somebody. You know, the Bible says, seize every opportunity. And there may be family members, co-workers, neighbors of yours who would never darken the door of a church, but they will come on Easter. Get your inviters out. Go out and share with them. Invite them. Hey, come to church with me on, uh, on Easter Sunday, 9 or 11, and we're going to have great church. I'm looking forward to it, and I want to encourage you to invite somebody. Don't come alone. Invite somebody. Be willing to bring them. Be willing to follow up on them. And uh, I believe that we'll see a lot of people saved. A lot of people will be blessed by God. But today I want to continue now the road to the resurrection. I want to talk to you on the subject, Jesus Crystal Ball. As Jesus was heading towards the cross and the subsequent resurrection, he not only spoke over Jerusalem about their hour of visitation. We talked about the hour of visitation last week, that God visits every person. God pays a personal visit to every person by the power of the Holy Spirit uh, before they die. The hour of visitation, very important. But then they asked Jesus, and let's put the verse up there. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. And here's what they said, tell us, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of of your coming and of the end of the age. Jesus, we know there's going to be an end of time as we know it. What is going to be the sign of that? Well, Jesus shared with his very own. This was not to the crowd. This was to the disciples. And today I want to share with you, as Jesus looked into the prophetic crystal ball, what he said about what was coming, I believe, to our day. And I'm going to make that case today. Father, we just thank you for your blessing. We thank you, Lord, that all around us, the events, the prophetic events are falling into place that just let us know that you are near even at the very door. So, Lord, we pray. Speak to our hearts today and help us to be a people who are ready, not taken by surprise, not caught unaware, but ready. Now, will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to me today. I receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. And before you're seated, let me tell you, parents, if your kids are sitting next to you, I know the first or sixth readers are in here today, they don't have to go to the bathroom as much as they tell you they do during my message. So tell them, go now or forever hold your peace. I ask you to keep control of your kiddos and let's minimize activity because people need to hear this today. So turn to your neighbor and tell them it's going to be good. You better perk up and listen. Jesus is near. The greatest prophet of all time was Jesus Christ. Now in saying that, I'm not minimizing Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, or any of the others. They were all inerrant or perfectly accurate in what they said. But let's face it, the prophet of prophets is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And in answer to the disciples' question about what would be the sign of your return, the greatest prophet of all time looked down the tunnel of time, and he made very specific predictions about the future. 
I want you to notice with me that he did not contest their statement that there would be an end of this age, an end of time as we know it. He didn't contest that. He didn't say, what do you mean by that question? He totally agreed with the question, and he answered it. Now, his predictions began with, what a, with a list called the beginning of sorrows. The beginning of sorrows. Now, I want to just forewarn you, I'm going to be very blunt today. I'm not here to tickle ears. I'm not here to, to get a bunch of cheers. I'm going to tell you bluntly what Jesus said. And it's good news for those who are saved, but it's bad news for those who don't know Christ. He said, there's going to be what I'm calling the beginning of sorrows. Jesus answered and said this, Watch out that nobody deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming, I am the Christ, and they will deceive successfully many people. And you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars are going to be in the papers, on the news, all the time. You're going to hear warnings of war. See to it that you, my disciples, are not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation is going to rise against nation. Kingdom is going to rise against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all of these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, the word sorrows here is taken from a Greek word meaning travail. And the same Greek word is used to describe a woman who has gone into birth pains and is ready to deliver. So this is the beginning of travail. These things that I'm sharing with you that you're going to see in your day are the beginning of birth pains or travail. When a woman goes into labor, uh, the birth pains increase in two ways, frequency and intensity. The frequency of the pains draw closer and closer together as the child is about to be born. And they are more intense, more painful. When Jesus was predicting wars, famines, plagues, and earthquakes, he was saying that they would begin to take place more frequently and with greater intensity as the time of his appearance draws near. I want you to understand that the Jesus Christ who came on the first Christmas morn, born in Bethlehem, was very crystal clear he would come again. And he said, there's going to be signs that precede that coming. And they will begin to happen. We've always had earthquakes. We've always had famines. Uh, prognosticators throughout the ages have tried to convince the world, read history, that the, the end is here, or at least very near. You can read that when... 1,000 A.D. hit the world in Europe. The whole entire church world was expecting the Lord to return as we, as the clock reached 1,000 A.D., but it did not happen. It's very important we understand why it didn't happen. They did not have the prophetic earmarks that were necessary for the return of Christ to take place, but we do. Those who said he's about to come again in 1,000 A.D. and other times throughout history pointed to weird weather patterns, wars, famines, new diseases, and all of that. But what's different now? Because we say that Jesus Christ is near. Hear me carefully. Never before has the world seen ever the accumulation of prophetic events as we have today. Starting with the granddaddy of them all which was Israel becoming a nation again in 1948. That was a key prophetic event. And Jesus said that generation, 
that sees these things happening will see the return of the Son of Man. When Israel became a nation in 1948, many believed that the prophetic hourglass was turned upside down and the final grains of the sand of time began to sift through that hourglass. Although nobody knows the day or the hour that Messiah will return, not any generation but ours has had as many signs of the time as we have. You read the newspaper, it's like reading his Isaiah. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, the minor prophets, Jesus in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. After giving those signs, you're going to see wars, rumors of wars, famines, and earthquakes with increasing intensity and frequency. He predicted several more things. He said you're going to see, first of all, a plague of betrayal. Dr. Luke says in chapter 21, verse 16 in Luke's Gospel, Jesus said, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, friends, and they will put some of you to death for the name and the cause of Christ. I believe that Luke, quoting Jesus, Jesus himself, was predicting a dumbing down, a deterioration of character. And Paul's letter to Timothy echoes the same warning. He paints a dark character sketch of end-time mankind. Listen to what he says. Mark this, Paul writes, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, heavily narcissistic. It's all about me kind of people. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving. Slanderous without self-control. Brutal, not lovers of the good, of those who follow good, but treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They will have a form of godliness, but they will deny its power. They will look religious, they will look real, they will look godly, but they will resist the true gospel and the true power of God. They have a show of looking real, but they're not real. And Paul said, don't have anything to do with these kind of people. Now, did you catch how many times he used the word love? End time humanity will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and lovers of sinful pleasure, lovers of all the wrong things. But they will be void of love for each other, void of love for God, and void of love for righteousness. I tell you, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look around us and see that we are living in a hugely egotistical, narcissistic age. We do love ourselves and we certainly love money. Our nation is caving in because of greed for money. Jesus said there's going to be betrayal, rampant pandemic betrayals because of a character breakdown. Then Jesus predicted a flood of deception and messianic imposters. Jesus said, many are going to come in my name claiming I am the Christ and they will deceive many. And listen to what he goes on to say. At that time, the last days, he's talking about the last days at that time, if anybody says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, Jesus said, do not believe it, for false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles. They will do miracles. 
They will have a supernatural anointing from the devil himself. They will perform miracles, but not through the power of Christ. He says they will deceive even the elect if that were possible. And then Jesus said, see, I have told you and warned you ahead of time. Did you know that according to world statistics, since the time of Jesus, 22,000 persons on record have deceived people by calling themselves Christ. And there are dozens right now around the world who literally stand on the stage of the world and say, I am the Christ. Have you ever stopped and think? Nobody stands and says, I'm Buddha. Nobody stands and says, I'm Muhammad. Nobody stands and says, I'm Confucius. Nobody stands and says, I'm Krishna. But they stand and they say, I'm Christ. Why the focus on Christ? Because Christ was the real deal. And that's what the devil attacks, the real deal. All around us we see false Christs, false prophets, false teachers. They are rampant. It is, a, it, it, is, it is epidemic in our world today. But Jesus moved on. And Jesus said, as my appearing draws near, not only will you see many people claiming to be Christ, not only will you see huge levels of betrayal and deception, but he said nature is going to go into, into travail before my return. You will see signs in nature. Now when you read the Bible record, you find that Nature has often reflected in the physical world what is happening in the spiritual world. Let me give you a great example. When Jesus was dying on the cross, the Bible records that at high noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. It made the Roman soldier near his cross look up and say, this must be the Son of God, because nature itself seemed to be weeping, hanging its head, in sorrow that the Son of God, its Creator, was dying, being abused, beaten beyond recognition. This was a dark moment, and what was happening in the spiritual world was manifested and reflected in nature. You say, well, that's just what the Bible says. Ah, but there's abundant extra-biblical evidence for this incredible event that happened when Jesus was on the cross. The Christian apologist Tertullian, writing in the 2nd century, speaks of a cosmic or world event visible in Rome, Athens, and other Mediterranean cities and challenged his non-Christian adversaries with the following words, quote, At the moment of Christ's death, the light departed from the sun and the land was darkened at noonday, which wonder is related in your own records and is preserved in your archives to this day. Nature hung its head in sorrow, as the Lamb of God died for our sins, as He cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And He took upon Himself the sins of mankind. Nature hung its head. The angels hung their heads. The Bible says they longed to look into and peer into and understand what was happening. As in an inexplicable way, by the working of God, Jesus Christ took my sin took your sin and took the blame for our sins and died in our place. And weather patterns and nature manifested it. Jesus vividly describes cosmic and earthly upheaval just before His return. Listen to some of what He said. 
Jesus said there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And you'll hear that trilogy used over and over again, the sun, the moon, and the stars. He said, on the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea, suggesting that there is a gravitational pull on the oceans, on the seas, due to cosmic disturbances. Jesus said men will faint from terror apprehensive of what is coming on the world for the heavenly bodies will be shaken when before his return matthew records the words of jesus quote immediately said jesus after the tribulation of those days the sun will be darkened the moon will not give her light and the stars which is the greek word asteros and it means the meteorites shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens are going to be shaken There's going to be a meteorite shower that's going to strike the earth that Jesus said would be so cataclysmic that men's hearts would fail and faint. John the Revelator describes a trumpet blown by an angel that has immediate influence on the same trilogy, sun, moon, and stars. He says, then the fourth angel blew his trumpet and one-third of the sun was struck and one-third of the moon and one-third of the stars and they became dark and one-third of the day was dark. The prophet Joel, Old Testament, saw the same thing. Quote, thousands upon thousands are waiting in the valley of decision. There the day of the Lord will soon arrive. The sun and the moon will grow dark and the stars will no longer shine. Echoed all through the predictions of the Bible are these these weather and cosmic cataclysmic disturbances. This is the sign, a sign sent by God, that the whole world is soon soon to witness. Everybody will see it. When it happens, it will appear as though our entire galaxy is disintegrating as millions of meteorites hurl themselves in all directions. I saw a news story just last week. Scientists saying it's a miracle that Earth has not been shattered by meteorites. We are living in the middle, hanging in space, surrounded by objects that could decimate the world if God did not keep them away. But God is keeping them away. People of all nations will react to this sign and terrifying panic will sweep the world. And every soul on earth will begin to realize that the end of this age is at hand. They will say it must be the end of the world. Jesus gave these signs for a reason. Not to scare you where you're just walking around afraid all the time, but to scare you awake. To scare you awake. He said in Matthew 24, verses 42 through 44, He said, So you too, you must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. And then Jesus likened these things to a homeowner whose house is in danger of being broken into. And he said these words, If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man is going to come when you least expect his return. Then Jesus warned, Watch out! Don't let your hearts... Remember, he's talking to his disciples. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness. And by the worries of this life, don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. It will spring like a bear trap. For that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times. Church, I'm going to tell you something. 
Much of the church is asleep in the light. We are ignoring these things. We're allowing the culture to shape us. We are catering our programs to reach people according to what the culture would do and not what the Bible would do. We need to be telling the world, you better get ready because Jesus Christ will come at a time you least expect. Jesus said to his, his people, he said, you guys aren't stupid. Now it's springtime. It's a great time for me to quote this verse. As you have noticed, everything around us is budding. The, all the little bushes in our, in our yard are budding, those beautiful blossoms. Because why? Because it's spring. Jesus said, notice the fig tree or any other tree. When the leaves come out, you know without being told that summer is near and winter is over. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation that sees these things take place will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place and Christ comes again. So the Jesus who came to earth over 2,000 years ago clearly testified that he would come again. Did Jesus die on that cross? Yes. Was he born of a virgin? Yes. Did he rise from the dead? Yes. The story of Jesus is an empty tomb and a virgin's womb. Did he rise from the dead? He absolutely did. Do you believe he died for your sins? You do. Do you know that he was a real personality that walked the earth, that he was God wrapped in skin? Yes, you do. Well then, clearly he said, I will come again. And what will that second coming be like? Jesus said, first of all, let me tell you what it's really going to be. All around you, here's the way it's going to be. Cultural apathy concerning his appearance will be prevalent. People will grow skeptical of the second coming. And as a matter of fact, many churches won't even preach it anymore. God help them. The Bible declares that skepticism about the second coming of Christ, sort of a, a, a slow-growing doubt and disbelief in His return, is going to begin to permeate culture before He comes again. Second Peter chapter 3 says, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. And here's what they will say. They'll say it on CNN. They'll say it on MSNBC. They will say it on television and radio and in books. There will be a, they're putting up billboards now, testifying that they don't believe in God. Well, I, wish, I hope they put one on every corner. Because then we'll have a great controversy and a great debate. You say there is no God. I say there is a God. You say there's no evidence. I say there is a world and universe filled with evidence that there is God. That's all right. I don't care about your billboards. But here's what they will say. They will say, Peter wrote, what happened? What happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? What happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? Come on, you don't believe that, do you? From before the times of our ancestors, these mockers go on to say, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. It's the same old, same old. We're going through the same life cycles. There's no coming again of Jesus Christ. But Peter said, a day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Don't let God waiting and putting the return off fool you. He's only putting it off because he is willing, not willing that any would perish, but all that would come to the knowledge of the truth. He's waiting for that last person to be saved. But it will come, Peter said, when the elements will melt with a fervent heat. This world will be completely burned up and renovated and redone. And Jesus Christ will return. 
Jesus said these words concerning the mockers and the unbelievers. He said, when the Son of Man returns, it'll be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings. Right up to the time Noah entered into his boat and the flood came and it destroyed them all. And for 120 years, his listeners did not believe, not one. He didn't have one convert. He preached for 120 years and didn't have one convert because they did not believe his prediction that water was going to fall out of the sky and a flood was going to sweep the world. They mocked him and ridiculed him and he kept on building his boat. And Jesus said, suddenly the flood came and all the mockers and all the disbelievers were destroyed. And that's a heartbreaker. And here's what Jesus was telling you and me, just as in Noah's day, people will go on with life as usual with no concern whatsoever that judgment is coming. Ah, you know, I don't believe all that. They'll be marrying, giving in marriage, partying, having a good old time, eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die. When you die, you just die. That's all there is. And they ignore the warnings of God just like they ignore the warnings of God in Noah's day. They ignore the warnings of God about coming uh, judgment, marrying, partying, having a good old time until it fell. Jesus said that's exactly what it's going to be like. He gave another illustration that's very important to notice. He said, and also the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business. Here he goes again, describing the same scene. Eating, drinking, buying, selling, farming, and building until the morning Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. And Jesus said, yes, it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now listen carefully. In Lot's day, the same attitude prevailed. They didn't believe God. They didn't take the warning seriously. They lived in their sin. They lived in perversion. They lived in sexual perversion. They lived in unbelief towards God. But the Bible tells us that the angels of God were sent to Sodom and they found the one righteous man and said this to him, we can't do anything until you're out of here. So he grabbed his wife, grabbed his unbelieving son-in-laws and started to go out. His wife turned around with her heart still attached to Sodom and was turned into a pillar of salt. Lot was delivered, and only when he was a good distance away from the city did judgment fall. Do you catch what Jesus is saying? Jesus said our day will be exactly the same. Unbelief, mocking, ridicule. They will ignore the warnings of God and be taken by surprise when God brings judgment, and God's final judgment will not take place until the righteous have been taken out. That's out, that's out of the red ink. That's what Jesus said. Now the second characteristic of Jesus' return is it's going to be not just as it was in the days of Noah, a que-sera-sera attitude about all these things, but Jesus said it'll be sudden and unexpected. Nobody will expect that it will happen when it does. Jesus said, as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now this week we had storms, and I looked out one night when the storms were rolling in. 
And all of a sudden, a flash of lightning went across the sky. And I thought of this verse. Because it went, and it was gone. Stretched across the sky like somebody snapped a giant camera. And poof, it was gone. Jesus said it's going to be sudden and unexpected. The Bible says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Now I want to grab two words out of there, moment and twinkling. Moment is the Greek word atomos, from which we draw the word atom. It means uncuttable, indivisible, an atom of time, a time so fast you can't split it. Twinkling means a jerk, a twitch of the eye, an instant of time. In a moment and a twinkling, the child of God will be jerked up into heaven. And you know what Jesus said then? He said, when that happens, it's going to separate one from another. Listen to the words of Jesus. Because this is compelling to me. Because it shows me, it gives me an insight into homes and friendships. He says, I tell you on that night, Jesus said, I tell you on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together, working at McDonald's, flipping burgers, making sales in some organization. Suddenly, one will be jerked up into heaven. The other left. The return of Christ will be the final arbiter of who knew and walked with him and who did not. There won't be any wondering anymore. No more pretense. No more, oh yeah, I'm saved. Didn't everybody say we're Americans? We're Americans. We all believe in mom, apple pie, Chevy, and we're all Christians. No. The angels of God are going to know who has actually been born again. The angels of God are going to know who wears the blood on the doorpost of their heart. The angels of God are going to know. And our greatest example is the Passover. Remember what God said to the children of Israel? He said, you get the lamb's blood and you put it over the doorpost and on the sides of the door of every house. And when the angel sees the blood, he will pass over. Now, God was giving us types and shadows and pictures and snapshots of what it's going to be like. Because when this amazing event happens, the angels of God will look for the blood, not on the physical doors of our house, but on the doorposts of our heart. And when they see the blood, you will be jerked up in a moment and a twinkling. What's intriguing to me is you got married people here. Uh, you, one had accepted Christ and the other hadn't, and they were living together. No doubt the one had been praying for the other. Lord, please save them. But there's going to be some that never did listen and never do come to him, and their spouse will be taken and they will be left. You have roommates here. One had accepted him while the other had not. You have family members under the same roof. Some had accepted Christ. Others had not. And the angels know. This catching up into heaven was foreshadowed by an Old Testament man named Enoch. It says, Enoch walked with God and suddenly he was not. 
It says in the Bible in Hebrews 11 verse 5, by an act of faith, Enoch skipped death completely. They looked all over and couldn't find him because God had taken him. There was a search party. They couldn't find him because he wasn't on earth. And you know what? When this incredible catching away of believers takes place, the greatest search party in world history is going to be launched. Looking for the multitudes who have suddenly disappeared, they will not be found though. Why? For God has taken them. Say, Pastor Jeff, do you really believe this? You know, you ask me if I believe that. To me, it's no harder to believe and accept. I accept it by faith. I walk by faith. It's what the Bible teaches, and it's what the Son of God taught. The same Jesus who said, if you believe in me, I will change your life, said, I'm coming back. I'm going to come back. If you believe that he came once, what's so hard about believing he's coming twice? Well, how's he going to get us all up in the air? God said, let it be. And Jupiter and Pluto and Saturn flung into space. He does everything by the power of His Word. And one day, the Son of God will hear the Father say, Son, go get your bride. And and it will take place. The same Jesus who came the first time was born in a manger in Bethlehem. It's coming a second time. And as Jesus wound His way through Jerusalem toward the cross and toward the resurrection from the dead, He looked into the prophetic crystal ball and He said, Here's what's coming in the last hours of time. Now I want to ask you a question today. Are you ready? If you're not ready, what's standing in your way? Have you thought about it? What's standing in your way? A relationship? A habit? A fear that if you give your life to Christ, He's going to somehow make you weird. I learned a long time ago, Jesus doesn't turn people into freaks. He turns freaks into people. <laughs> Let me ask you, whatever it is that's causing you to kind of push back and hold back and continue to live a life that you know is not fully what God wants for you, Is it worth it? Is it worth it? I want you to stand with me, would you? You know, uh, I'm going to ask there to be as little movement as possible. We're not going to take much longer. As little movement as possible because people are being spoken to right now. Are you ready? You know, you can leave today with peace with God. I, I'll never forget when I did that and what an incredible relief it was to get right with God. You may have been in church all your life, but truth be told, you know you're not walking the way you're supposed to. Listen, Jesus said, watch out. Because that time could come when you're not expecting it and you don't want to be caught uh, unprepared. I believe if there was ever a day to get it right and stay right, it's our day. So I'm going to ask with our heads bowed for a moment in prayer. 
You know, I prayed for you last night. I prayed for you this morning. I believe that God is here to bring an incredible, glorious turning point to some people's lives. You say, Pastor Jeff, I, I used to walk with the Lord and I, I believe in Him, but I've gotten away. And I just feel Him tapping me on the shoulder and saying, it's time now for you to make peace with God. Or maybe you've never known Him. And you can be born again today. I don't care if you've been in church all your life. There's all kinds of lost people in churches. Whether you've been churched or not churched, you don't know if you've ever been born again. You can know today. So I'm going to ask with our heads about if you can say, Pastor, I'm in one of those two categories, and I'll let you pray for me. I know God's already been knocking on the door of my heart, and this service confirms it. I want you to raise your hand right where you are. Say, I'll let you pray for me. Put them high. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Many. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to slip out from where you are. Don't worry about the person next to you unless you want to bring them down with you. I want you to come and stand right in front of me. Do it right now. We're not going to sing. We're just going to stand here in silence as Joe plays lightly. And I want you to obey the Spirit of God and come down. Just come and stand right here. Come and stand.